This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services. Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. That truth from Isaiah 5, verse 20, is a message that our modern society desperately needs to hear. It seems that today no vice is so bad that our modern society will not turn it into a virtue. And perhaps the greatest example of this today can be seen in our society's attitude toward pride. In the Bible, pride is seen for what it is, a terrible vice. But in our world today, pride is seen as a wonderful virtue, isn't it? Last month we, was called Pride Month, and it was filled with pride parades and pride signs and pride colors and pride slogans and pride clothing. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. With that introduction, you might think you're about to hear a lesson about the ancient Sodomites, but you're not. Tonight I want to talk about the ancient Edomites. Please open your Bibles to the book of Obadiah. The Edomites were descendants of Esau and were neighbors of the Jews, but they were not good neighbors. When Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587, Edom turned against Israel. The psalmist describes what happened. Psalm 137, verse 7. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. They wanted the city brought down to its foundations. And these were the neighbors of the Jews. The small book of Obadiah is a judgment against Edom because of their treachery. And that judgment came in 553 B.C. when Nabonidus conquered Edom. Obadiah, verse 10, for thy, violence, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. That was the judgment against Edom because of its treachery against the Jews. But how, you ask, are the ancient Edomites related to Gay Pride Month? Look at verses 3 and 4 of the book of Edom, of uh, the book of Obadiah, rather. Verses 3 and 4. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Edom was known for its great pride. And God's word to Edom through the prophet Obadiah teaches us three important lessons about pride. Number one, pride is deceptive. Pride is deceptive. Verse three, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Those in Edom imagined they were secure in their elevated rocks, that they were out of reach. But God told them they were being deceived by the pride of their heart. The rich fool in Luke 12, was likewise deceived by his pride in his personal possessions. Pride blinds people to all but the object of their pride. 
They feel no need for anything else or anyone else, including God and the Word of God. Those filled with pride feel they have no need for God. Why? Because like Edom, they feel perfectly secure in their own fortifications. They look down with scorn upon any who would look to, to God for security and for fortification, for wisdom. Those filled with pride feel secure in their moral safety. They pursue a life of sin. They openly blaspheme the name of God and they imagine they are safe in their fortifications. Their fortifications of social position, of wealth, of health. Their pride has blinded them to their true condition. We see that in Revelation 3, verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Pride is deceptive. Number two, pride is presumptive. Presumptive. Obadiah, verse 3, they ask, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Those filled with pride presume their lofty position will remain forever unchanged. That's what Edom thought. They presumed that their fortifications would never fail them and that they would never be overcome. Isaiah described the Babylonians as another such people who thought the same thing. Isaiah 47, starting in verse 8. Therefore hear now this, thou that art given to pleasures, that dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. Peter described the same attitude in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They presume they shall stay that way forever, and nothing will ever change to harm their lofty position. Many today are filled with pride because of their material advantages, because of their intellectual advantages, because of their social advantages. But rather than being thankful to God, they place their confidence in those worldly advantages and they presume they will last forever. But they're wrong, aren't they? Luke 12, verse 20, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be? Rather than asking who shall bring me down to the ground, our attitude must be that of the psalmist. In Psalm 18, verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. The only secure fortification is in God. There is a fortification that will last forever, but it comes only through God. He is our fortress. Third, pride is destructive. Pride is destructive. Obadiah verse 4. I will bring thee down, saith the Lord. Nothing made by man will continue forever. 2 Peter 3, verse 12 tells us it will all one day be burned up. 
Pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride is destructive. No man-made fortress can ever save us from the great enemy of all mankind that is coming, which is death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Though men build their nest in the stars, they will all one day be brought down by death. Psalm 37, verses 35 and 36. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. What the world calls protection cannot protect against God's judgment. It cannot protect against mankind's appointment with death. Death mounts over all rocks, and it cannot protect against that. Only God can offer that protection. Pride is the great enemy of God. Pride strikes against God's throne. It strikes at his glory. And God opposes it, and God condemns it, and God punishes it. Pride is not a virtue. Pride is a vice. From the example of Edom, we know that pride is deceptive. We know that pride is presumptive. We know that pride is destructive. Our society celebrates pride. But we must always see those celebrations for what they are. Angry people looking up at the skies and shaking their fist at God. That's what they are. And that is not new. Men have been shaking their fist at God for millennia. But shaking your fist at God will never change the truth of Hebrews 10, verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In whom will we trust? Pride has its root in the denial of God. The proud think there is none above them. Psalm 12, verse 4. Who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Well, Jeremiah shows us both sides of that coin. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. And then two verses later, the other side of the coin. Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. That's the same choice we have today. Do we trust in ourselves or do we trust in God? Do we rely on the arm of man or do we rely on the arm of God? The good news tonight is that we don't need to trust in the fortresses of men for our protection. Jesus has built an eternal kingdom that will overthrow all the kingdoms of this earth that not even the gates of hell can prevail against. And you can be a part of that eternal, unshakable, immovable kingdom of God, the Church of Christ, how? By your obedience to the gospel of Christ. In obeying that gospel, you will turn from human pride, and instead you will place your trust in Jesus. You will be added to his body through your obedience to his gospel, and you will be added at the moment you are baptized for the remission of your sins. If we can help in any way tonight, please come while we stand and while we sing. I'd like you to open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 14, that chapter from which we read uh, just a short while ago. On by way of introduction, 
You do not need me to remind you that sin in the world is a universal problem. Because as you listen to the media, read the media, watch it, you'll find that they are continually leaving before us the great fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible teaches the doctrine of total depravity. That means that we have, each one of us, as guilty sons and daughters of Adam's fallen race, each one of us, we have a depraved nature, and therefore we have a bent towards sin. Now the fact that the Bible teaches total depravity, it doesn't mean that we commit every sin. Although perhaps in the spiritual sense, maybe we do. Some people here would say, well, I never broke the sixth commandment. I never killed anybody, and that's good. But it is possible also to do it in a mental sense, as is the transgression of the seventh commandment. And so today, while we do not necessarily commit every sin, perhaps in the mental sense there has been that transgression of the law of God. But tonight I want to deal with one vice from which none of us are free. Every one of us have a problem with this particular vice, either earlier in our lives or uh, later on or perhaps even now. It is a sin that when we see it in others, we loathe it. But then the problem is that we often cannot see it in ourselves. Now, I've met people who are quite happy well, maybe not quite happy, but they are willing at times to confess uh, some of their faults. I've heard people say, well, you know, I've got a problem because I have a bad temper. And I've had to make the same admission myself at various times. I've heard people come along and say, well, um, I really am a little bit of a glutton. And like Thomas Watson says, perhaps I am uh, digging my own grave uh, with my knife and fork or with my teeth. And so sometimes the people are willing to admit, yes, I do eat too much. Some will come along and say, well, I know that my attitude in life is sometimes not all that wholesome. And people are quite willing at times to confess to some weakness or fault or even outright sin. But the one that we have before us tonight is one that very few will confess to. It is one that is very well known, and it is simply the sin of pride. Now, if I'd ask you tonight, are you a proud person? You'll find that most people will say, oh, not me, I am not proud. And yet you'll find that all of us at times, we show evidence that that sin is lurking like the Diabolonians in the walls of the city of Mansoul, waiting there to work havoc in our lives. Now, when we're faced with the fact that the Bible tells us that there is this doctrine of total depravity, when you're faced with that, then you realize there is no room for pride. Because who are we? God tells us He chooses the weak and the foolish and the base things of this world to confound the mighty, the things that are nothing. And so therefore, when the Bible presents us with that, where is the room for us to be filled with a personal pride? Some people regard pride as the utmost vice, and not without reason. And yet there's other people today, they wouldn't regard that even as a sin. They'd regard it as nothing. So tonight what I want to do in your hearing is just to look at 
What does God have to say about this matter of pride? What does the Bible have to say about this troublesome problem, this troublesome sin uh, called pride? Well, first of all, uh, by way of answer, uh, pride is the sin of Satan. That's why we had Larry read to you from Isaiah chapter 14, because here you have the story of the fall of the king of Babylon and how he has fallen down. That's the literal story. But I believe as you read this chapter along with a, a parallel one in Ezekiel 28, you'll find that, uh, well, there's much more to it than just the fall of an earthly king. Because the very nature of the language shows us more. And I believe what you have here is a picture and a description by the Lord of the fall of the devil. Verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the earth, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will uh, sit also upon, upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And so five times you find this spoken of the devil exercising his own self-will. I will do this. I will do the other. And again, it wasn't an open thing, because the Lord said in verse 13, Thou hast said in thine heart. That's what identifies the sin of the devil, which was pride, and the same sin that inhabits our breath betimes. That same sin is not so much an outward one as it is an inward one. Thou hast said in thine heart. And, of course, it led to the fall of the devil from heaven, because the Bible tells us in verse 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now, our pride, when we allow it to enter into our minds and our lives, our pride is guilty of following the wrong master, because you'll find that the devil, he is the one who was filled with personal pride and base ambition. He wanted to be like the Most High. He would climb up and he'd make himself to be like the Most High. But you compare him with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was the one who said, I come to do thy will, O Lord. And so the Lord Jesus Christ submitted himself to the will of his Father, but not so the covering cherub that Ezekiel speaks about. The devil, he wanted to have the primary place because he was filled with pride. And so pride is the sin that cast Satan from heaven and down to hell. And pride is a sin that will drag sinners down to hell to spend eternity with the devil as well. So the first thing is that the sin of pride is the sin of Satan. The second thing we need to notice is that uh, pride is hated by God. Listen to these quotations from the book of Proverbs. And if you want to have wisdom, you will do no better than to spend much time meditating upon what Solomon has written in the book of Proverbs. 
I don't care whether it's your personal life, your home life, your business life, you will profit by studying and putting into action what you find in the book of Proverbs. Listen to these things. Chapter 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy on the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. That's the word of God. God hates pride. God hates arrogancy. God hates the evil way in the forward mouth. He says, I do hate them. Chapter 16 of Proverbs and verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart, listen, is an abomination to the Lord. That's strong language. But that's the language of God himself. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And these things need to be brought to our minds because we live in a society that is focusing on self-confidence and on self-assertiveness. And we're told to go out there. I mean, I notice a tremendous difference coming from Britain over this land. One of the differences I noticed was that when over there they would interview a sportsman about some of his performance, they were generally very modest about their achievements. But over here, you interview a baseball player or some of these characters, and you'll find they are so full of pride with regards to their prowess. And my friend, this sports world in North America is going to reap an awful harvest. In this last few weeks, they announced yesterday, they announced a baseball pitcher has been signed up for $105 million for seven years. And my friend, that crass attitude towards money and that careless attitude towards money is going to reap an awful harvest in North America and other places where it's practiced. $105 million for seven years. I worked it out. A baseball pitcher pitches probably 100 pitches in a game. He pitches probably every fourth game in order to rest his arm. So that Kevin Brown, I think his name was, that pitcher, every time he throws a ball, whether it's a strike or down the dust or dirt or outside a ball, every time he throws it, it's between three and four thousand dollars he puts in his pocket. And my friend, you look at people who, for example, a surgeon who spends a lifetime studying to use his abilities to save the lives of people, say a brain surgeon, and you look what they're paid compared to what somebody, all they can do is throw a ball or hit a ball. Society today is mixed up. But you find the pride that is in the hearts of these people because the only ability they have, you ask them a question, oh, da, 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 that's all but you get out of them. But they can throw a ball or they can hit a ball. The pride, we're told, is hated by God and everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Then again, Proverbs 6 and verse 17, where it says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, and the very first one is a proud look. 
And so pride is hated by God. It is abominable. And why does God hate it? He hates it because it is the sin of his arch enemy Satan. And because it exalts self and debases the God of heaven. But the Lord can correct the balance. And I love the way he did it to Job. Now Job was a good man. Job, Job was a righteous man. And yet there was just a little tint of self-righteousness in God's servant. And he was just a little bit, uh, perhaps, uh, tainted by the problem of pride. But then when it came to chapter 38, the Lord just took the pride right out of Job. It says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thy me. Right, Job? You have a little bit of pride in you there. I'm going to ask you some questions. Gird up your loins. Answer, if you can. And then he says, Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. And again, you think of some of the people today who are telling us of the history of the earth and how they have understood how there was a great big bang at some time, and out of nothing all this world came into being. Well, it says here, declare if thou hast understanding, because nobody was there when the Lord made this world. And then he goes on, and he goes down through verse after verse after verse, and the more he asks in the two or three chapters there, Job is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. He says, Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades, or loose the bands of Orion? Canst thou bring forth Macheroth in his season, or canst thou guide Arcturus with his son, speaking of the constellations and the stars in the heaven? Do you do that, Job? And uh, the time the Lord has finished with Job, I have to uh, smile at what he says. He says, Behold, I am vile. Uh, what shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. I'll say nothing. Because if I open my mouth, I'm going to look a fool. And so finally, uh, Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's pride was gone. But there was the place where the Lord blessed him and multiplied him greatly. And so um, the Lord's able to correct the balance. And if we have a problem, thank the Lord he can. But as in the case of uh, Job, it may be kind of hard to swallow. But still, still the Lord would speak to us. Something else about pride. Pride is an insidious sin. Make no doubt about it. It is a sin because Proverbs 21 and 4 says a proud heart is sin. And so God has told us clearly that pride is sin. Now sometimes it's very hard to detect, especially in the individual. Other people looking on, listening to the words, reading the body language and someone else, may be able to see, yes, there's a person who has a fair degree of pride in them. But yet that person may be blissfully unaware. In fact, I have to think many times, they are unaware that they are filled with pride. It's almost like a leprous spot. 
They look at it, but they don't realize the reality that their body has been consumed by disease. And so sometimes they see some little thing, but don't realize that their life has been consumed by this pride that has its very basis in the devil and in his hell. And um, sometimes we can't see this. In fact, it's like the back of your head. You can't see the back of your head, but it's there. Other people can see it. And sometimes uh, we have pride. We can't see it ourselves, but other people, uh, they can see it. And therefore, we need to have God's help to be able to root out this seed and the seed of sin. There's a wonderful paradox here. And that is that humble people, you would think, are not proud. But you look and you'll find that very often the people who profess to be humble are perhaps more proud than anybody else. In fact, we have a well-known statement, and that is, I am very proud of my humility. And that's a, there's a lot of truth in that. Because people can feign humility with an actual fact they're not at all humble. And in their heart, they have this pride that's eating the very vitals out of their soul. Now, the Bible tells us that boasting is foolish. To boast not thyself of tomorrow, the Bible tells us, I know it's not what a day may bring forth. So we're not to boast of time. We don't know what is coming ahead of us. Neither shall we boast of other things or talents, for example. Because anything we have and anything we are, it's only by the grace of God. Dr. Paisley used to have a little triplet. He said there were those who were, they were proud of face. And so they look in the mirror and they're well pleased what they see. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I found a picture, in fact I have it in my pocket here, I think, a picture of my wife and I in the back garden of our house when Jill and Stephen were just uh, two and a half and one and a half years of age, I believe it was. And uh, I look at the picture, and then I look at the character in the mirror every morning. And so you look at that and say, well, something certainly has gone wrong. But there are people who are so proud of their appearance and their face. And then Dr. Paisley said, there are those who are uh, filled with pride of grace. They have nice graces and they're able to uh, behave themselves and uh, drink tea nicely and hold their finger out nicely when they're doing it. Uh, Pride of their graces. And then he said too, uh, pride of place. Like to have the upper seats and uh, feel there that they're filled with their own importance. I happened to read Spurgeon this afternoon on another sermon altogether, a sermon on the new heart, and I discovered in it he has a wonderful section on pride. I'll read a bit of this to you. It says again, there's another aspect in which we may regard the sinfulness of human nature. That is its pride. It is the very worst phase of man that he is so proud. Beloved, pride is woven into the very warp and woof of our nature. Then he gives the illustration. He said, I found myself on my knees praying, and in my prayer I, I said something like this, O Lord, I grieve before thee that ever I should have been such a sinner as I have been. 
Oh, that I should ever have revolted and rebelled as I have done. And then he realized how prominent even in a humble prayer the personal pronoun was. And he says, there was pride in that, for who am I? Then he goes on to say, uh, that when we are trying to be humble, we may be foolishly rushing into pride. What a strange thing it is to see a sinful, guilty wretch proud of his morality. And yet, he says, that's the thing that you see every day. A man who is an enemy of God, who is proud of his honesty, and yet he's robbing God. And he goes on to say, and a man proud of his chastity, and yet if he knew his own thoughts, they are full of lasciviousness and uncleanness. A man proud of the praise of his fellows, while he knows himself that he has the blame of his own conscience and the blame of God, the Lord God Almighty. It's a wild, strange thing to think that man should be proud when he has nothing to be proud of. He says here, further down, yet uh, some people, he says, uh, I, a base-born son of one that robbed his master's garden of old and went astray and would not be obedient, of one that sunk his whole estate for the paltry bribe of a single apple, and yet proud of my ancestry, I who am living on God's daily charity to be proud of my wealth when I have not a single farthing which with to bless myself unless God chooses to give it to me. I that came naked into the world and must go naked out of it, I proud of my riches. What a strange thing. I a wild ass's colt, a fool that knoweth nothing, proud of my learning. Oh, what a strange thing that the fool called man should call himself a doctor and be made a master of all arts when he is a master of none and is most a fool when he thinks his wisdom culminates to its highest point. And oh, the strangest of all, that man who has a deceitful heart should pride himself upon having at least some good points about him. Ah, human nature, then... Thou art insanely proud, while thou hast nothing to be proud of. Right, Ichabod upon it, as Spurgeon says, and is helplessly insane, decrepit, and defiled. Well, if that doesn't defeat pride, I don't know what does. Tremendous words there from the man known as the Prince of English Preachers. Over in 1 Corinthians 4, you have the words of Paul and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For who maketh thee to differ one from another. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? So again, that deflates pride. You realize that all that we have and all that we ever hope to be, it comes from the hand of the Lord. There's something else about pride. Pride is something, one of those sins, that leads to other sins. It is a wedge that is hammered in by the devil that pries apart the door of iniquity. And further sins then gain access into our souls and follow in the train. You think of Pharaoh and his arrogance. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? 
Who is the Lord? The Lord's the one who gave him breath. The Lord's the one who gave him life and gave him a kingdom and gave him prosperity. And his arrogance, the Pharaoh's arrogance, has spelt disaster upon Egypt. And my friend, you cannot rise up in arrogance against the Lord. Well, there's a good thing, and that is that the devil can make no headway with a truly humble man or woman. You think of the Lord Jesus in the temptation. He who had reason to be filled with the importance of his position as the God of the universe. And yet the Lord Jesus was a man here of great humility. So when the devil came and tempted him in the wilderness, and tempted him particularly on the area of pride, cast thyself down from the temple. And people look at it and say, oh, how wonderful you are, because you fell off the temple and you didn't break a bone or tie. And so the devil was appealing to the pride of the Lord Jesus. The Lord rebuffed the devil with the word of the living God. But in our case, pride opens up the door, it leads to greed and avarice, at least a dishonest ambition and a pride is that which exalts self and lowers God. My friend, you cannot uh, get off with it because the next point is that pride alienates us uh, from God. We've seen here that Satan himself was banished in the presence of God because of his arrogant pride. He felt he was self-sufficient, didn't need God. And that's what happens in our hearts. We are filled with the importance of ourselves. And think, we don't need God. We can do it our way. We can do things ourselves. The whole time the Lord is reminding us that our pride will banish us from His presence for all time. Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, in the days of Daniel. His great city was surrounded by an enemy. But in his arrogant pride because of the immensity of the wall round about Babylon, in his arrogant pride, he didn't worry about the enemy. He called a thousand of his lords and there they got down into a drunken stupor, even the extent of uh, causing sacrilege against the very vessels of the Lord's temple that was in Jerusalem. But that night, we're told, Belshazzar died because his pride led to his destruction and to his death. The Psalm 138 tells us, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. You can never get close to God while there's pride lurking in the heart. Because finally, pride brings destruction. The oft misquoted proverb, pride goes before a fall. The Bible tells us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Just a couple of weeks ago, I got the latest issue of the National Geographic magazine. A very interesting article on the city of Petra. Petra down in Jordan just to the south and to the east of the nation of Israel. And Petra is a, a mountainous area entered by a very narrow rocky defile. And you go in there 
And there you have a most amazing sight because the city of Petra was literally carved out of the rock. And you can go today and you can see these buildings, a tremendous exhibition of engineering, tremendous thing. And it was the major city of Edom. But the Lord had something to say about those people long before our day. Way back in the book of Obadiah, Obadiah, book of one chapter, dealing with Edom and the Edomites. And God said, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You've got a description of Petra right there. That saith in his heart, Who shall bring me to the ground? Because he's filled with his pride. God said, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. And that prophecy was fulfilled to the letter. So that those who go to Petra today go to look at it as an interesting historical tourist attraction. Because the city is gone. God pulled them down as he said. And so tonight, friends, it behooves each one of us, believer and unbeliever alike, to look in. And if we find a pride lurking there as believers, we need to get it under the blood. And my friend, if you're not a Christian, and pride continues to reign in your heart, then the day will come when you too, like Petra, will be destroyed from the presence of the Lord, because pride brings not just temporal destruction, it brings everlasting destruction. And the hardest thing for sinful man is to get down on his knees and say, Lord, Thou art the Lord God Almighty, and I am desperately in need of Thy saving grace. Lord, save my soul. You see, it takes the humble man to do that. And that humility itself comes from the Lord. The other man will not do that because he argues, well, I have to earn it. I know I need to be saved. I've got to earn it. So I will do this and I'll do that and I'll do the other thing. They'll be able to say to God, I did that and this and the other thing. But when you do that, what are you doing? You're exhibiting pride. I am proud of what I did. I am proud of the churches I went to. I am proud of the alms that I gave. I am proud of the good work that I have done. But the Bible tells us that salvation is all by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, when we get to heaven... As redeemed people, we'll be there not to boast of what we have done. We'll be there to boast in what Christ has done. Because the Bible tells us that we're not to glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, may we allow the Lord to speak to our hearts and realize the sin that Satan involved himself in and how he's tried to bring that upon all men. And pray today, Lord, Take pride out of my heart, and Lord, make me to be a servant worthy of thy glory, and one who will serve thee, resting only on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ.
my friend, ask the Lord to dig out that seed that will bring forth an awful harvest. And dig it out and make you someone that the Lord will bless in his life. Let's bow together in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the Word of the living God. And Lord, we confess that each one of us at times we have allowed this wretched sin to rise up. O oh God, we have nothing to boast about because all that we have has been given to us by Thee. Thou hast given to us the bodies we have. Thou hast given to us every breath and every heartbeat. Thou hast given to us the possessions we have. O oh God, all has come from Thy hand. Therefore, Lord, we have nothing to boast about. And the very talents that we have are given to us by the Lord. So, Lord, we pray that Thou would help us to use them to the glory of Thy name. And, Father, should there be a soul here tonight not saved, O oh God, we pray that Thou would speak to that soul and save that soul and humble that soul before the mighty hand of God and under the cross. And grant, O God, that come and call upon the name of the Lord, because thou hast said, Such as do shall be saved. Hear this our prayer, answer prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The views expressed on this program are those of the guests and not necessarily the views of management and staff of OBS Radio, OBS International, and Greater Works Business Services. Guests who appear on this podcast are not required to pay a fee and is made possible by RadioGuestList.com. For more information, please visit our website at www.obsintl.cf. Follow OBS on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash broadcast section. If you want to contribute financially to help us continue broadcasting, please go to paypal.me.obsintl. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you next time. This is OBS Radio, a service of OBS International, a division of Greater Works Business Services.